at newspress.com. Another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and at Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. As we embark upon the 68th day of quarantine. I thought it was 300 days. (laughs) You mean it's been, that's all it's been? (laughs) I, to, I heard someone told me that we, we've been in quarantine for because it's May 18th, you know, it's 68 days, but I don't know. I didn't count it out. I went out today to one of the first times that I made a wrong turn out of my driveway. I wasn't sure which way to go. <laughs> my kids told me they think I forgot to, to uh, they for, uh, that I forgot to uh, know how to drive any longer. Hey, by the They're way, like, mom, we, you're driving weird. By the way, do we have a guest today? We have a very special guest. We have Elliot Polak, who, who is widely sought after for speaking on economics, policy, fiscal, and economic impact, and real estate issues. He is also sought after by local, regional, and national news media as an expert source of economic and real estate matters. However, the most, the most telling reason why we have this guest is he used to be your uh, roommate, Neil, at BU, right? That's correct. And uh, we couldn't find time to to uh, re-engage. So I thought we'd do it here with all my friends on the radio. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yes, so thanks me, for being me, with us, Elliot. Oh. So let me get to the let me get to the first article. Um, and this one is by our favorite author from The Wall Street Journal, Jason Swig, the intelligent investor. And the title is Don't Get Soaked in the chase for yield. And it's, it's, it's about a product that UBS has been selling called YES. And YES stands for Yield Enhancement Strategy. And Diane, you're going to like this. The, the, the program, which uh, has around $6 billion in holdings, effectively uh, has the client borrow against their holdings that they have at UBS and takes the proceeds and buys options. Now they How is that it. even legal? Well, but yeah, it gets even better. They they advise their clients that it is a very conservative way to uh, goose up their returns. And in their 2017 marketing brochure, it, it quoted quoted it said seeks to limit exposure to significant upside or downside market moves and generate additional cash flow. So basically, they said to their clients, "Look, let's take the uh, stocks and basically put it on margin. That's what this is really. Uh, it's, a, it's a margin uh, uh, equivalency. And we'll use the money, <laughs> use the money to uh, buy options, which will increase your return. 
Well, it, it didn't work. It was a big surprise there. And even when it did work, uh, for example, in 2017, um, excuse me, 2018, uh, 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 when the S&P lost 4.4%, yes, lost 18%. In 2019, with the S&P up 500 up 500, up 31 and a half percent, yes, lost 2%. And basically um, it is beyond my comprehension that this is able to be sold. And then in fact, after everything we've been through, they, some firm like UBS would still sell it. That is, that's somewhat amazing because buying anything in the stock market on margin carries with it significant risk. Now, the one saving grace might be that interest rates have been so low that the margin costs wouldn't, wouldn't eat you alive in terms of return. But nonetheless, it is an extremely risky proposition to be buying on margin options and significantly underperforming the market such as that. You know, I, I have to caution people over and over again, if it sounds too good to be true in terms of um, juicing up your yield because interest rates are so low, there's a point where it doesn't make sense. You're much better taking risk in the equity market. At least there is an upside. You're not just locking in this low interest rate environment. Uh, the next article is entitled, The Specter of Deflation Rises Again. Uh, the Labor Department announced that overall consumer prices fell 0.8% uh, in April from March. Um, and um, uh, with people in a crisis, uh, you have as there has been whether it was japan or whether it was even in the beginning of 2008 2009's catastrophe uh, a general sense that uh, deflation is a possibility and one of the real problems with deflation is besides the fact that it kind of neutralizes the ability of the fed to get us out of recession is as Keynes said you know you can um pull a string, meaning raise interest rates and hopefully stop inflation, but you can't push a string, which means there's no way to get people to buy or invest simply because the cost of money is cheap. And so while it's not, uh, I don't think in the discussion among investors today, obviously the mark was up 900 points today, the idea that there's a possibility of deflation um, is, a, is, a, is a sobering thought. The next article uh, is from the Wall Street Journal, uh, bonds left out of the Fed rescue uh, uh, plan. And uh, when the Fed announced that they were going to lend 2.3 trillion to support the economy, including uh, business loans uh, and backstops for corporate borrowing, they excluded certain securities, uh, particularly those uh, corporate and commercial real estate loans that were among the fastest and uh, growing segments of the bond market. And, and uh, you know, the TAL program won't include uh, collateralized loan obligations, which is made up of corporate debt used to finance buyouts. Uh, uh, there is um, uh, real estate uh, CLOs, single units, there, believe it or not, there are COOs where uh, the collateralized loan obligation consists of one property that somebody uh, wanted to borrow money and then someone put it out as a collateralized loan. Um, and uh, um, with uh, credit firms over the last three, four years, as we've talked about, becoming more and more competitive to get new business, a lot of these CLOs were marketed with pretty high ratings. 
And so with the Fed leaving them out of the rescue plan and with some of these uh, holdings probably overrated, uh, there could be a problem. Uh, which leads me to the next article, which is uh, two days later, and the Fed expected to unblock loan deals uh, from uh, including junk-rated corporate loans like CLOs uh, uh, that will not, if you have too many of them, exclude you from being part of the uh, uh, the, ter- the uh, term a- asset-backed loan facility. So I guess a few days later, the Fed didn't exactly uh, do the same thing with um, collateralized loan obligations as they did with regular debt, but they certainly, I think, became aware that that was a problem that they needed to be dealt with. Um, and uh, the last article I have is sort of related to that, and that is that um, corporate bonds have become uh, much more attractive to uh, individual uh, investors. Uh, and part of that, the article talks about uh, people being frightened away from the volatility in the stock market, uh, but also the fact that there are attractive uh, yields versus government yields. So uh, corporate bonds um, over the last two months have been one of the areas that um, has um, actually been a bright spot for uh, for Wall Street. Uh did uh, all those articles bore you, Diane? You, you didn't. You didn't seem to comment. Well, you were talking so fast, I couldn't even hop in with my usual two cents. Um, well, I'm going to give you a chance to rest now, and I think we're going to take a <laughs> well, break. Well, you know, if you think about it, it's it makes sense that corporate bonds is a, is where are where people are fleeing, especially after the Fed came out and backstops, you know, below investment grade. Yeah, of course, you know, as I said, with the credit agencies being so liberal, I'm not sure what investment grade is anymore. Um, We could talk to Elliot about that, because unlike you and me, Elliot actually is an economist. Uh, On that note, uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. This is the sound of a brand new outdoor grill being hurled off a 20-story building. Now a stylish glass coffee table. An electric guitar. These are the things you could enjoy all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Visit energysavers.gov and get tips on how to save energy and money. 
Then do things like switch to Energy Star light bulbs or Energy Star appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. So this doesn't happen to the recliner you've had your eye on, or this to the treadmill on your wish list, or this to the shiny new bike your kid's been asking for. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. Now, we can be reached at 805-564-1290. Or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the former roommate of Neil, Elliot Polak, on oh, air with Pollock. us today. It's, it's Pollock, not Pollock. 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 Oh, sorry. I'm a Polak, so that's the reason why I get confused. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he is an economist and a real estate um, expert with us. So we're thrilled to have you with us, Elliot. So thanks so much for being here again. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and where you grew up and how you got interested in economics. Well, uh, I grew up in a place called Great Neck, New York, um, which is, Neil grew up in the city. So, uh, but I met, by the way, I met Neil, uh, we, we pledged the same fraternity, which we ended up regretting for years. Uh, in at B, and uh, but I, I, uh, um, to me, life is a series of kind of random events and how you react, react to them. I actually got out of BU and started Columbia Law School, and I called up my draft board and said, Call me in three years because I'm very old and I'm going to be drafted. Um, and my draft, my draft board said, Nothing doing, we'll give you one year and then we're going to draft you. And so I dropped out of law school, ended up at graduate business school at USC, and Neil was, I think we used UCLA, wasn't it? You originally yes. you were. Yes. So Neil and a, a friend of his named Joe Russo drove 24 hours straight from New York to Los Angeles, walked into the apartment that I had, I had rented for him. He took, takes one look and he says, I don't like it. They get back in the car and drive back. <laughs> and that was the end. Of Are it. you kidding? <laughs> oh, that's funny, Neil. You told me that story, but I didn't realize that your friend had rented you at the apartment and you decided well, you didn't he, like it well he lived in because he went to usc he lived in uh la so yeah. when i told him i was going to ucla he found an apartment for me on venice boulevard and uh i lasted six or seven hours you know i didn't know that story <laughs> about, about you in columbia because it's similar to mine because i was at a telephone booth yeah. and i called uh columbia and nyu because of the draft and I said, uh, I said, no, I didn't want to go there, but uh, I just dropped out of uh, UCLA. I have to know if I can come home and will you take me? And the first one that said, yes, uh, I went to. So uh, I had the same sort of switch that you did, but I had it from a telephone booth in Venice. <laughs> you had it from what? You broke up, Neil. I had it from a telephone booth in Venice. I actually called from a telephone. Well, we didn't have cell phones then. Yeah. The, 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 the people on the other end must have thought I was nuts. You, you know, you have to let me know now. I, I'm in California and, and I'm going to come home, but I won't come home if you 
if you don't by the way is anyone interested in this out there <laughs> or should we have done this offline <laughs> <laughs> so back to Elliot, Neil. Yes, oh, right, I, Elliot. So I get to. So uh, you grew up. Yeah. So at the end, and um, in all honesty, I spent most of the, uh, the the time in graduate business school at USC trying to find a reserve unit, and uh, um, otherwise I would have gone to OTS or something of training school, and um, I ended up getting in a. Uh, uh, a medical unit, a medical hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, by that time, my parents had moved to Phoenix, but I had degrees in, in uh, essentially um, uh, economics and accounting, and the government made me a corpsman. I used to get sick of the blood, but they made me a corpsman anyway, and I spent, you know, time in the army. It was uh, it was an interesting experience, put it that way. And um, after that, I could have. I had two job offers, one in California, one in Phoenix, and I decided I'd rather stay in Phoenix and see what happened. And I figured after six months or so, I'd probably move to Los Angeles. And that was, you know, 53 years ago. I never quite made the move. Um, so uh, it, it's just been an interesting life. I've had a great time. I've been lucky and, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to still be here. So, uh, so what was your first job in Phoenix? I was a securities analyst at Valley National Bank of Arizona, which was the largest bank in town. And Neil would, I don't know if you remember this, he'd call me and tell me I was crazy uh, because essentially he believed in efficient markets. I don't know if you still do. And tell, to tell me that essentially, how are you going to basically be able to compete with the flow of information you have in Phoenix with the flow of information people have in New York? And the answer is you couldn't, you know, unless you essentially just, just, uh, tried to mimic the market you know, by, by a essentially at that point, you had to create an index fund because none existed, which is what I ended up doing, trying to mimic uh, the, the S&P and it worked, worked all right. And then the, uh, um, I did the economics from the commercial side of the bank and then the bank decided they wanted me on the, uh, excuse me, from the trust side of the bank, they wanted me on the commercial side. So I became their economist full time after about three years, which is great because even though I'm a CFA, Neil, I just don't have the temperament for uh, stocks and bonds. And even today, I have somebody manage my stock portfolio. I, you have, it's more than having the knowledge, it's having the temperament. And you, you have to, and, and I just didn't. It wasn't a good fit for me. By the so. way, we're, we're really you know, re-engaging. I didn't know you were a CFA. I am a CFA also because my first <laughs> job was a securities analyst as well. Yeah, uh, I think we should probably stop the show and go dancing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be wearing a mask and gloves. <laughs> Your wives might object a little. Just say. <laughs> so now, what made you, Elliot, move from a, from the biggest bank in Phoenix to your next endeavor? Well, again, I had a I had a, a great time at this bank. After, when I went to the commercial side, I reported to the chairman of the board, who was a great guy. And uh, to him, and he didn't know what an economist did. So an economist did whatever I told him an economist did. So it, it worked out really well. I was able to do a lot of creative stuff. They backed me. We built models of the bank that, that, that they used for years. And uh, it, was, it was tough to leave. And then I started investing in real estate, uh, originally on my own, and then with, with uh, a limited partnerships that I put together. And as long as I put in the disclaimer and the perspective that this had nothing to do with Valley 
National Bank of Arizona, they didn't mind. So it was the best of all possible worlds for me. Um, I had a great time there. I actually worked there for 18 years. And uh, uh, I left in 1986 for an, uh, a, a bunch of reasons, not the least of which was that uh, the, the, the real estate equation stopped working. And we had a tough time deciding whether there was something wrong with the equations or the equations weren't wrong at all. And it turns out the equations weren't wrong. They weren't broken. It was They were telling me something about the market. And when I decided that, I decided it was time for me to leave because any bank in Arizona is heavily invested in real estate, especially in land. And that, that was a real problem. In fact, virtually every bank except Valley National uh, had to be taken over by an out-of-state institution to survive. And every SNL in Arizona went under in 88 through 92. So it was a good time to leave. Yeah. Uh, you, you, also, you also had the Tax Reform Act of 86, uh, yeah, well, which, that, which changed everything with real estate investing. Well, it did, especially, I'll give you an example. I had a, a friend and I bought some apartments after the 82 Tax Act because essentially if nobody lived in those apartments, you still had a cash flow because the depreciation was, was so absurd. And in 86, what Neil's talking about is they basically said we were only kidding at 82 and went back essentially to the old depreciation laws which may, means it had to be economically viable and nothing was because of the 82 Act. And that really uh, caused a glut on the market, which it took probably till the early 90s to, to, uh, to, to deal with. So that's what absolutely, wow. So that's what, what I learned. Things? You never invest for the tax benefits. You only invest if it's economically viable deal, forgetting so the tax benefits. That's, that's great advice, Elliot. So uh, the, well, before we go to break, the one thing I'm surprised about is um, I didn't know you were that good at math. Uh, you're able to do econometric models. You're able. I, I didn't know that you were a math whiz. Well, un- see if un- you would have stayed in California, Neil, you would have learned that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I'll tell you a quick story. I, you know, they 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 were looking for an economist to hire, so uh, they they had three people come in for it, including me, and. Uh, the last question the guy asked me was interviewing me. He says, how much is seven times three? And I said, 26. And then I walked out and I said, oh, seven times three is 21. Uh, you'll never get the job. So it turns out I got the job. I walked in the first day. I said, how come uh, I got the job? He asked me how much seven times three was, and I gave you the wrong answer. He says, well, of all the economists I spoke to, you were the closest. You know, so. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. Hi, this is Greg Gorga, Executive Director of your Santa Barbara 
Harbor Maritime Museum. We have a fundraiser, our annual fundraiser coming up on Friday, May 29th. We are honoring surf legends Rennie Yader and Sean Thompson. Obviously, we can't have that here at the museum, but we are going online for a virtual fundraiser with an online auction, and you can go online at sbmm.org on May 29th and join us that evening at 5.30, and our online auction will run for seven days. You can bid on all sorts of fun activities like a two-night stay at the Sunstone Villa at Sunstone Winery, a personal coaching session with surf legend Sean Thompson, or even a private cruise for two hours aboard the Condor Express. For more information about our annual fundraiser, go to sbmm.org, look up the Surf the Big Wave button, and you can join our auction, or you can contact us here at the Maritime Museum at 805-456-8742. As you are no doubt aware, COVID-19, also referred to as the coronavirus, is a serious public health threat. Cases of COVID-19 have been diagnosed in many countries, including the United States. Implementation of basic precautions of infection control and prevention will become increasingly important. Practice frequent hand washing and avoid touching your hands to your face. Cough or sneeze into your sleeve instead of into the air. Avoid close contact with others, especially if they are exhibiting signs of illness, and stay home if you feel ill. The symptoms of COVID-19 include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. If you decide to seek treatment, check with your health care provider prior to approaching a care center so they can instruct you on the current recommended procedures. Tune in periodically and monitor media news reports for updates on this serious health threat. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Elliot, share with us, so you started your own um, economic real estate consulting firm, and, and tell us about you know, what made you put that together? Originally, it was, you know, you left, you had, you were doing it concurrently while being at the bank. And then you left the bank. And I'm assuming you, you took that, that consulting practice as your full time job. Is that well, accurate? Here's what happened. Real estate, as Neil will tell you, the cash flows are up and down and up and down. And, you know, essentially, some years, it's feast. And then for a lot of years, it's famine, there's simply no liquidity in land except for maybe once out of every three years in a business cycle. The liquidity is difficult. So I was just looking for something that would even out the cash flows. And I had, as part of Valley National Bank, I spoke to the press all the time. So I was in the press frequently on the air a lot. And uh, I figured, well, who's going to pay me for this stuff I used to give away free at the bank? And it turns out that a lot of people paid me to give away that which I used to give away for free. um, and so uh, the consulting firm was highly successful almost from the day I opened it. And, and, uh, uh, but it was essentially to even out the cash flows. That was the idea. And I got lucky because I did a lot of uh, expert witness stuff that, and in, in uh, uh, 88 through 92 is when the RTC, the Resolution Trust Corporation came to town and basically sued everybody. And I would get calls from the defendant's lawyer and from the uh, and from the government wanting me to represent them. 
and I'd look at the facts and I'd choose the side I thought had the best facts. And which, by the way, was usually the plaintiff or usually the defendant, not the plaintiff, not the government. Uh, but uh, that really got me started. And I've done a lot of things uh, over the years. And I I basically enjoyed it. It was just a lot of fun for me. And I still had the real estate company. Uh, and I just would put in a lot of hours when real estate was good. So I just I got lucky. So in, in your consulting work, did you also do economic consulting, like yeah. predicting? predicting? The, bulk of it, the bulk of it was economic consulting uh, uh, to uh, individual companies, uh, large cor- anything from large corporations to Indian communities to a lot of government work. Uh, we're the economics department for, for Maricopa County, which is essentially Greater Phoenix. We do a lot of work with the state. Uh, we've done a lot of work with the various cities and towns in the Greater Phoenix area. We've done a lot of work with states other than Arizona and uh, a lot of fiscal and economic impact work. It's just been been fun the, the whole time. So uh, when you when you when you focus on Arizona, though, so much of what happens in any community is a, is, is a result of what is going on nationally. So correct. do you also have a view of uh, what's going on, what's going on on a on a on a, on a national basis? Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right, Neil. Probably probably 80% of it is national, you know, you can't escape the cycle. So, uh, so where, so where, what, so let's hear some wisdom. Where, where are we now? Uh, see, I, I guess I disagree with your governor. I don't think you can get the economy opened up soon enough. Uh, this is um, far more, in, in one month, actually in two months between this February and April, you, basically gave back every job you created in the previous 10 years since the, the trough of, of employment in February 2010. You, we, you gained 22 million jobs, you've given back 21 and a half million in two months. Uh, the rate of unemployment nationally is going to end up to be 20 to 25 percent before it peaks. Uh, you probably will end up having 30, 35 million people laid off in total. And the worst thing though, is you probably will lose 25 to 30% of all the businesses that were there previously to this. The government did what it could, it could but a lot of small businesses and medium-sized businesses will not survive. And uh, that's gonna be the problem because you're gonna have huge uh, supply chain issues, not only in getting the product, but in distributing the product because there simply won't be enough stores uh, to, uh, uh, to get it done. In addition, this really doesn't end until you either A, get a vaccine, or B, get something like uh, Theraflu, which treats the symptoms so well that, that when you get it, it's not all that bad. In the absence of that, this is gonna be a long protracted problem, even with what by the time the dust settles will be six or $8 trillion in stimulus this year in terms of fiscal policy and a monetary policy with a Fed chairman basically saying, we will make sure there's liquidity. You know, essentially this has never been done before. They've opened up all these facilities, and then he basically says, we're not even done yet. So, you know, uh, he's basically saying he's scared enough, so he's willing to open the doors of the Fed to any reasonable business uh, or business venture that will create jobs. This has never been done before. It's going to be interesting, and even with that, it's still going to take a while. And every day you keep the economy shut, more and more businesses will not recover, will not reopen. And that's, you know, ultimately the market will adjust, but it'll take three to five years until we get back to where we were in February of 19. 
so why was the what, why was the stock market up 900 points today? Uh, they they must be reacting to that story about this company that that uh, did this study and that uh, that the vaccine uh, reduced the uh, the the impact of the disease significantly. Uh, that was the only thing I read this morning that would justify it. And but I, I mean the whole the, the market you know is almost back to where it was before this started, uh, and I'm just you know concerned that the market's way ahead of itself. Well, I I. I think the market is, under normal circumstances, way, way ahead of itself. Uh, the only issue I have is the alternatives, the same issue that you guys have been dealing with probably for the last two, three years. Where do we go if we don't go to the stock market? We're not getting any yield on bonds. Uh, we're not getting any, any, any yield on treasuries. Uh, you're taking risk with REITs. Uh, so exactly what do you do? And I think that a combination of the, the need to find, to, uh, essentially the need to go farther out on the risk spectrum because of, of the low interest rates. And this, this article say, uh, hinting that this might be coming to an end is, is what the market reacted to. Do I think the market's overvalued? Yeah, I do. I so, do. so basically what you're saying is you, UBS is right. We should all do what they did. Well, no, what <laughs> I, 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 suffice to say, if you want to sell options against the box, that's one thing. You want to sell options against stock you own to enhance your yield and have a chance of getting called away from you, that's great. But I don't think as a policy, you should be taking margin money and buy, you know, essentially create a, a selling, uh, uh, buying options with that money. That, what you, what'd you think of the article about deflation? Do you think that's a, a real risk? I think in the near term it is. Uh, and by the way, one of the things they didn't mention was oil prices, which have been knocking the hell out of out of things. But you would expect something that has been this severe, an economic impact on employment and on GDP, which will be down 30 to 40 percent this quarter at an annual rate, uh, uh, to have a pressure on prices, downward pressure on prices. My thing is that at what point do does this stuff turn into money, turn into M2 and become inflationary. I think that's probably, again, three to five years down the road. But in the near term, uh, the, the Fed's going to have to do whatever it can to keep prices from declining. What and do you I think, think of- be an aberration, by the way. What do you think of how the Fed has performed the last three months? Um, I think they, they've been very creative and they recognize the problem. And I think they recognize the Full, the potential full extent of the problem. Last week, uh, uh, Powell gave a, a, a short talk, which I urge people to listen to, maybe a 20-minute talk. I think it was the Peterson Foundation, and where he laid things out very carefully. And it's very obvious to me that, he, that he's just starting, that he's going to do everything he can to shore liquidity. So the usual uh, liquidity crisis that occurs during this type of situation um, uh, is is circumvented. Uh, if, if it's not, we got some long-term problems. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. 
Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. It was a goal that I wanted to achieve from the very beginning. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. I wasn't sure if I could do it. It was very hard for me, but the teachers, the counselors, they help you. One of the teachers was uh, Miss Araceli. Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. Every single time I had a question, she'll put down whatever she's doing and she'll come over and she'll sit there with you until you get it. At age 47, with the help of his teacher, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. Getting your high school diploma, it is a life-changing experience. It really is. It catapults you to where you want to go. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So, Elliot, on the break, we were talking about inflation and the fact that inflation never hit from the stimulus of 2008. Now, you're anticipating that inflation will hit after this. Granted, this is unprecedented amounts of money that we're seeing pumped into our economy, not only from the Fed, but also through Congress um, and the CARES Act. Where do, you see, where do you see that taking us in the future? Well, I, I can't tell you how much, but I can tell you about when. I would expect inflation to start to hit when we get to the type of unemployment rates we, got, we were at in February. And that's three to five years away, I think. And that's when it'll start to hit. You'll see it start, unlike the last cycle, a lot of this money is going to float into M2. And I think people are going to be saving more. And that's going to prove to be a problem. Do we get to the hyperinflation we had in the, uh, the late 70s, early 80s? I doubt it. Uh, do we get to uh, 3 4 5%? Yeah, I think fairly easily, quite frankly. And that's going to make the bonds you buy today look a little more problematic. Uh, that's, that's always the risk you take. Um, but uh, uh, I don't see how with all the money that the, the uh, Fed is planning to pump through the system, a lot of it doesn't end up in M2, which becomes inflation. And when you look at a part Right, of- which, might, which might have been- oh. Go ahead. Go ahead, Neil. No, you go ahead. 
So I was going to say um, that might have that might have been the reason why we never saw inflation, just because the banks kept most of that money on their balance sheets as opposed to really pumping it out and getting it to M two. Yes. So, so when when um, when you think about cyclical uh, real estate areas, you know Las Vegas comes to mind, but so does Phoenix. Yes. Phoenix is is like always. Whenever there's a housing uh, recession, there's always you know Miami, Phoenix, and Las Vegas. Uh, you were able to uh, uh, maneuver through that. Uh, very difficult environment for years. How, how did you do it? Well, um, once again, I got lucky. Since there was a, a real estate cycle here in the late 60s, and I was too dumb and stupid to even know what was going on, to be honest with you. Then there was 80, uh, basically it started in 86, but it was basically 88 through 92. And that one, uh, when I bought land back then, I did it on, uh, was it seller carrybacks? So what I did is I'd go back to the sellers and I'd say, look, your property is now worth uh, one half X instead of X. You need to basically reduce the amount of debt dramatically. Otherwise, I'm going to walk. And most of them were willing to do that in order to maintain their cash flows. And so I, I was lucky and I was able to retrade the debt sufficiently and several times for virtually every property, but sufficiently. So when things took off again in 92, it, things turned out very well. Uh, in 2005, I got lucky because I actually saw it coming and sold virtually every piece of property I had. The one I got, got stuck with is one where a builder left $20 million on the table, so it didn't hurt that much. Uh, but the bottom line is that that um, if you want another piece of advice, that Diane, that you tell everybody, every one of your clients, it's uh, Rothschild used to say, uh, uh, buy to the sound of cannon, sell to the sound of bugles. In other words, you buy when people are selling and you sell when people are buying. And so that's what I did in 2005. I thought I was retired, going to retire then. But then I decided I was too young and I get bored. So I bought a lot of property back in, in eight, nine and 10. And I'm still dealing with that property now. And, and uh, when I get rid of it, uh, I'll, I'll have to retire. Otherwise, they'll have to take me and my real estate to, uh, you know, to the rest home. Uh, yeah, but you, know, you know, you know, what's really interesting is that the the business that you were in was not really as aggressive and crazy as the people you sold to. The the mindset of these builders is, is that they must have the optimism gene. No matter well, what happens, they come back. What happened was. And, and they got caught in like, sell, you know, buy to the sound of Canyon, sell to the sound of bugles. They were buying to the sound of bugles. Phoenix went from about 30,000 housing permits to 60,000 housing permits in two years. So that's a doubling of housing permits. Uh, it was the fastest growing market in the country. And uh, it was based on numbers that weren't real. The number, the number of people moving here uh, plus the natural growth did not justify it. And that's essentially why I got out. But uh, the home builders uh, you weren't, they were, they were speculating in land. Uh, in today's world, uh, instead of buying 100 or 200 or 600 or 1,000 acres, they'll buy 100 or 150 lots. And, and uh, uh, they are looking at lots uh, the same way they look at uh, lumber and uh, uh, and, and other materials were for just-in-time delivery. 
So the market has really changed. And the only pro problem for me is that it's taking longer to sell land now because I can't sell it in big chunks. Home builders aren't buying it in big chunks in today's world. Uh, maybe, I, to be honest with you, uh, prior to March, I thought it was moving back in that direction. And I'd be able to uh, retire sooner than I uh, think I'm going to be able to retire today. But there was a huge change in uh, between the, the, what happened in 05, 06, 07, and what happened in you know, 19 and 20 in terms of how builders looked at land. And that uh, um, lengthened out the period I had to hold it, unfortunately, but it made sense. So now what do you see in the commercial estate market? What's going on both with the panic and people working from home? And where do you see that plan? How do you see that playing make sure, out? Make sure you understand the supply demand situation in every market you're in. Okay? Uh, right now, apartments look good to me. And from a supply demand basis, uh, there's an awful lot of millennials. And there's enough millennials to drive both the for sale housing market and the for rent housing market. And uh, whether it's now or a year from now or two years from now, that market is going to continue to have a lot of pressure. So unless you're in a market that's delivering an awful lot of housing, that's going to be a, a good market. The industrial market, the distribution market is also going to be strong. Uh, same reason. Ultimately, there's going to be a lot more distribution going on, a lot more of what Amazon is doing. Uh, and a, a lot less of people going to malls and, and, and buying. Uh, the two areas I'd be, I'd be really careful about, uh, retail uh, is what was in the tailspin before is now basically uh, headed straight, straight to the bottom. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult market. It's one thing if you have a small shopping center that has a bunch of services in it, uh, the hairdresser, the nail person, things like that, some restaurants. Uh, when Neil and I were kids, you went to a shopping center, it was full of pe people who sold stuff, not services. Today, people buy, sell, sell services and food, they don't sell stuff because, and part of it's just the internet. And, and I think this is the, the nail, final nail in the coffin for malls, for example. Uh, and I'd stay away from those. Although again, if you've got a, uh, if people are still gonna need food, need food stores, and they're going to need restaurants, and they're going to need the, the, the basic services. Um, uh, in terms of office, it's mixed. Um, a lot of offices, I think, until this ends, are essentially um, uh, fundamentally uh, out of date. Uh, you don't want. Do you want to be in a high-rise building uh, where you're you're going to have four people in an elevator? Uh, going forward. It's, it's going to take forever to get people up and down. And do your employees want to be in elevators with a bunch of people? Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting. I'd be much happier with a two-story walk-up uh, uh, office building where every door goes to the outside than I would uh, a big high-rise. And, and, and so it, it, that's going to be a problem. Are these uh, uh, basically obsolete at this point? I don't know. And again, you won't know for a while. Uh, some buildings have already started where you wait in line, they'll let four people in the elevator, you have to wear your mask, uh, you face the walls, and you go up and down, but it takes you a half hour to get up the elevator. I also think that a lot of people, a lot of companies realize that working from afar works just fine. 
my daughter's company is shut down. They're in New York. They've shut down their office until at least December, and their productivity has gone way up. And that's because people don't have to spend an hour and a half getting ready and then another 45 minutes commuting uh, each way. So they get up and they, and they put on their sweats and they go to their computer and they work. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll take a, a, a few minutes off to do a Peloton, to get on their Peloton bike, but essentially they've been a lot more productive. So it's going to be interesting to me whether this means more space or less space for office. I personally think, uh, well, it mean, might mean more space per person. It means less space overall. You're listening, uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back with our final segment. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. Come on, people. Think about it. It's time to pay attention. Mortgage industry is not rocket science. Your guide to the information you can use to choose the best answers to your real estate financing questions. Join me Tuesdays at 2 p.m., 10 p.m., and Sundays at noon. Your guy in the mortgage industry, Guy Rivera. Tune in to 1290 AM, Santa Barbara News Press Radio Station. For 16 years on State and Islay. I'm Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. Elliot, on the break, we were talking a little bit about the I can't versus I won't. Will you tell us a little about that? This is about how the economy does recover. I can't means, hey, I'd like to do this or I might not, but I can't do this because the government's saying I can't do it. I can't go to restaurants because they're not open. I can't go to my hairdresser, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I can't get that, uh, that uh, um, uh, surgery done because it, it's not mandatory. The I can't is, I could do this, but I'm re- do I really want to take that risk? Now, what's going to come back first? Think of the medical system. The medical system was an I can't. I couldn't get that, that, uh, that surgery done uh, because it was elective. 
I couldn't go to my dentist. I couldn't get my teeth cleaned. And all of a sudden I can. And so you've got this big backlog of people who need surgeries and or need tests or need to get their teeth cleaned or cavities fixed. And now they can. They'll do that because they can and they want to. On the other hand, um, uh, are you gonna get, even though you can, are you gonna get on an airplane, fly to a, a remote location, stay in a big hotel, high rise hotel with, and, and, and go out and do the things you normally do? Well, that's more and I won't. I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna go to Hawaii right now. I don't wanna go to New York right now. I'm gonna wait and see what happens. And then are you going to a restaurant? Well, people over 55, the answer is maybe once, but probably not. People under 55, yeah, they're probably going to go, but it's going to be slow at first. And are you going to go to a movie for a while, even though they're about to open up in a lot of states? Boy, I don't think so. I don't think so. So again, when you look at what's going to open up, judge it by the I, I won't, not the I can't. The I can't will go away. But the I won't won't, and and so a lot of industries are a long way away from recovery, no matter what happens. Which yeah. is uh, not a very pleasant thought for Santa Barbara, now, which is a basically a tourist town. Yeah, well, yeah, I have a house in Laguna Beach, and it's the same thing. Now this weekend it was really crowded, and I they just opened up uh, Phoenix, which is where I am now, and on on Friday and Saturday and Sunday it was like the middle of the tourist season. People were out there. Uh, restaurants and bars were, in my opinion, overcrowded, but it was kids in their 20s and 30s who think they're immortal. And quite frankly, based on the statistics, uh, COVID-19 will be a pain, but not deadly to them. So that that's fine. But it's going to be interesting to see the, the overall numbers. I think the recovery is going to be slow at first. It's going to look more like a Nike swoosh than a V or a W. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elliot. It's great to catch up with you. Uh, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you next week. It's 3.30.